Man, I am so excited. We're ending our Loveology series today. How many of you have enjoyed Loveology? It's been good. Kind of, we didn't really get into necessarily the one, two, three of how you do relationship. We really kind of took love to a, a, a kind of the theology of love and what it is and what it's about. And it's been, for me, really encouraging, challenging. Um, I know that I've talked with several of you and your conversations have gone to a new level. That's the whole goal. Again, remember, my two requirements for a great message is that it encouraged you and it challenged you. Um, if you walk out of here without feeling a little bit of like, man, I hadn't done that before, uh, then we hadn't done our job well. I think Jesus always encouraged people, but I also think they left bigger people. And so I want to just encourage you that as we talk today, we're doing a little bit different, um, that we're going to kind of tie a bow on it and go, this is, this is how we finish it out. But today we're doing a bit of a Q&A. I really hope that you kind of go back over these last several weeks together um, and let it encourage you in your relationships uh, because loving God, loving people are the two primary things, right? So we need to get those down. And how many of you know the two things we have the toughest time with, right? Making sure we're loving God fully, making sure we're loving people well. And uh, it's why you need the fruit of the Spirit because people are involved. And, um, and so, I, hey, I want to introduce our guest this morning. Um, she has become a family friend of ours, uh, has, has really meant a lot to our family over the last several years, um, and we are really privileged. In fact, when we thought we were only going to be able to do this series in February, and, and it was only going to work then, we thought, well, this isn't going to work out, and we said, you know, I don't think we have enough time. We need to extend it one week, and so I said, maybe you need to text her and see what, uh, what we can do, and she was available this first week in March, um, and because we have a real heart that we would model for you not just preaching and proclaiming, but also conversation. And I think Christians aren't always all that good at conversation. And if you feel like we're harping on Christians a little bit, I don't know if you notice, but prophets in the Bible, they usually jumped on Israel's case, right? They celebrated, and then they brought a little bit of correction, and then they celebrated. So we just kind of just keep chugging along here, moving forward. So I just I want to encourage you that this conversation is meant to be, in a lot of ways, a model for you. And meant to be an opportunity for you to kind of go, oh, I can do that. You may not get up here and preach the Bible. Uh, but you can talk, and you can have a conversation, and you can listen, and you can ask questions you're uncomfortable with, and you can say, I don't know. And in fact, some people hearing you say that would gain more respect with them than you giving them some great fake answer. And so we want to just kind of do that today. And so Nancy Houston has done a lot, been a lot of places, done some incredible things, was part of a, a small little church down the road called Gateway Church. And... Um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to make it. And, uh, but, they, um, but she was head over all of their counseling um, as a licensed sex therapist and has just released a book called uh, Love and Sex that we have available. And I'm really excited about that. Do we have a copy? Of, oh, you, she's bringing it up here. Okay. And, um, and, and we are going to make sure that those are available. And she mentioned to me, if you can't afford it, just let them know. They'll, they'll hook you up. All right? Do need to see a bank statement. Uh, but... <laughs> I did. I stole that joke. Um, but I, uh, but I'm, I am honestly, I'm thrilled, but more than that, honored uh, that Nancy and, and Ron would come along and be a part of today. Like, I really am just thankful that you would be here and be a part of this morning and uh, allow us to shout a little bit and have a good time and then ask some questions about sex and talk and have a good conversation. So if you would, would you give a C3 welcome to Nancy Houston as she comes to share with us this morning? Fantastic. Hi, it's good to be here. Thank you for your. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. We're good. We're good. You got We're it in place. Good. That's why I chose this one. I need it. You... Yeah. Well, it's good to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks we were for having me. Talking a little bit about how we were going to do this, and you were actually really thrilled that it was going to be more of a conversation than, than anything else. And so right. we're excited about that. We need to have conversations about sexuality, don't we? It's a, big, it's a big part of who we are, but unfortunately, the church hasn't really talked about it. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know about y'all, but when I got saved, I then knew I was going to spend eternity with my Savior, right? right? But my soul was messy. Anybody else's soul messy? Yeah, right, right. Right? 
And so I think the role of the church and is to disciple. And we don't really talk about discipling our sexuality, but here yeah. it is, this huge part of who we are. Yeah. And so that's why we need to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big part. Where do you feel like church, religion, whichever word you would want to use for it, has, has kind of missed it? I know not talking about it, but it's even more than that, not talking about it has kind of created some assumed answers. And we have these Absolutely. things that get mixed up. Well, I, I love how God... You know, God isn't a prude, is he? Like, and he isn't shy about talking about the real stuff. Right. Like, you just read the Old Testament, and you see the sexual messes among his saints, right? Like, think about David. David is such a good example of sexual secrets, you know, right? Like, he saw Bathsheba. He felt a ton of lust, and he's like, I want her, guys, go get her, because I can have whatever I want, because I'm the king, and then he took her, and then he hid that for, until the prophet said, hey, dude, you've done this bad thing, right, and then, so there's that story that we can learn so much from, that our sexual secrets keep us really sick, and then we have the other story of how David's son raped his half-sister, and David knew what had happened, and David did not intervene. He didn't correct his son, and he didn't care for his daughter, who had been traumatized by her own brother. And we see the long-term effects of that. So I think one of the things we need to do as a church is like, hey, God talks about all this in his words, so why aren't we? Right. And why haven't we? Because we need to. And, you know, like Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, at the end of 1 Corinthians 6, I call it the 1 Corinthians sex, so then I remember. Um, <laughs> I think I actually did that one time. You know, right? It was an accident. I'm not but, good yeah. with numbers, but I can remember the word sex. Um, and so he said, um, you know, sex is more than skin on skin. Right. It's a deep spiritual mystery. And I think because we don't talk about it and our world treats it so casually and like, ah, you know, it's a hookup and it's all just about getting what you want and feeling good. And, but it, the world never teaches us that sex is way more than right. skin on skin. And even science will teach us that sex is more than skin on skin. Yeah. Because what happens when you go skin on skin with somebody else you release all these dopamine. It hits your dopamine reward center, and it releases all these bonding chemicals. And so they say that whoever, um, like, for example, whoever has a a female has an orgasm with, she will be bonded or attached to that person for at least three weeks. And that's why we see females staying in so many unhealthy relationships is because there's a sexual component to it. And she's like, he treats me horrible. This relationship isn't good. It isn't healthy. It's toxic. But they're being sexual, and so they're deeply bonded to each other. Right? Yeah. And I mean, that can happen to men as well. Men release what we call vasopressin, which is called the monogamy hormone when they have sex. And so, you know, keep them tied to this person. So there is a lot going on there besides just what we think. All right, well, let's wrap this up. Um, that's awesome. That's already more than most of us knew, right? And, uh, you know, I think, well, I think about that with, you know, when we've had our two children and the skin to skin, the idea that you get them close quickly because they attach. And, uh, wow, we haven't gotten to our first question yet. So we do have several. I appreciate you guys jumping in and, and asking questions. And we're going to do our best to get to these. I'm sure, I, I'm not entirely sure that we'll get to all of them, uh, but we'll do our best. And that's why you got the book. And I know some of you go, well, I don't like reading. And I go, well, you, you like sex, right? So read. And, um, and so I, I want to I encourage you. Uh, to do that, but I, I, I'm, I'm really excited. So let's jump on the first question, and uh, we'll read it off the screen here. As a single female, and I would bet that this probably goes for some men here too, uh, in today's sex-driven society, I find it extremely difficult to find men who are on the same path of purity as me and who want to stay celibate until marriage. 
Can you give me some insight into this struggle? And also, what are your thoughts about purity in the Christian dating scene? That's a great question, isn't it? There's yeah. a lot there. Um, we could probably spend a couple hours on this one, couldn't we? Um, <laughs> first of all, you know, I just want to acknowledge that we are all sexual creatures by God's design. So there's nothing shameful about your sexuality. There's nothing. Now, maybe some shameful things have happened to you. And if they have, I want you to separate those two things out. Like, I am a sexual creature by God's design, and it is good because everything God made, he said, is good, right? So when he decided to make you sexual, I mean, God could have made all of this way more mechanical, right? We could have, like, laid an egg, and somebody sat on it, and boom, we have a baby, you know? <laughs> but, you know, God decided to make it way more fun than that. And so you, you are sexual. And I think so many singles, sometimes Christian singles, will just like try to repress all that, right? Like, ooh, can't tap into that. If I tap into that, I'm going to do stuff I don't want to do. Actually, that has a boomerang effect. It's way healthier to acknowledge I am a sexual creature because here's the thing. What we repress, we typically express in outlandish ways. Wow. Yeah. So when we're just trying to shove it all down, like, uh-uh, not going to feel that, uh-uh, not going to acknowledge that, then that's when you find yourself doing something like, what in the heck did I just do? I, I can't believe it. I was never going to do that, and I just did that, right? So it's way healthier. Just acknowledge, be thankful, because then I think we start integrating our sexuality and our spirituality. Because we, when we start acknowledging God, you made me sexual, then we start inviting him in. Good. Right? Like, God, I am dating this really beautiful, handsome man, and I want to have sex with him. Help me to manage that. Help me to steward this. Because, you know, love is desiring the good for the other. And, you know, women, I think one of the biggest problems we females have, and trust me, I've struggled with this, is feeling good about ourselves and feeling like we're worthy and like we bring something that's valuable. But if we are, are desperate for a man's attention or for love or for affection, then we'll do things to, to accommodate. Right. Maybe even things you don't want to do. Females do a lot of things sexually that they really don't even want to do, but they do it to get love and attention and affection. So, you know, women, this is why we need our brothers. And I want to encourage you, put healthy men around you. Like, get some dads around you and get some brothers around you. And we need to stop sexualizing our relationships in the body of Christ, yeah. right? That's and realize true. that you men are my brothers and I'm your sister and we need each other to yeah. be healthy. Yeah. We need to connect with each other. Do you know what I mean? Like so even my husband cannot meet all my emotional needs. I, I, have, I have other men in my life. Nothing sexual about it, right? Because right. he's my one and only sexual partner. But we need to have healthy relationships where yeah. we connect with others. Yeah. So acknowledge you're a sexual creature and then invite God into helping you steward this wisely. Because we all know we've, we've given stuff away sexually and, um, you know, and then you feel guilt and shame. And I, I just also want to throw in here, God's so good at forgiving us. Yeah. But I think what Christians do is we put our sexuality over there in this corner and we never ask God into that part of ourselves. Yeah. And we keep it separate because yeah. we do feel so much shame and guilt and we just can't believe that he'd want to be a part of that. Yeah. But, you know, if you've been acting out sexually, if you struggle with porn, if you struggle with anything sexual, which everybody does, right? Invite him into it and ask him to help you and then reach out to others and start getting some help for it. Don't be alone in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's good. I, and I think, honestly, I think even when, as I read the question, I think for us, fellas, I think you need to hear that question. I think you need to hear a young lady asking that question, yeah. going, where are all the men who can walk right, who can be upright, who can love me without wanting me, who can encourage me, who can celebrate me, and where are the men who are going to be pure and integrous and live life with some strength in them? And so I think that's important for us fellas to take responsibility in some of those areas as well. Well, yeah, and like, 
uh, you, you do feel strong sexual feelings, right? Like when a man sees something, a beautiful woman or something that's arousing, it lights up in his brain. Yeah. Like a light goes off in a man's brain. Like we women, we can see a naked man, nothing lights up. <laughs> you know, we're, we're just, we're just wired. No offense guys. I mean, yeah. you know, but God just. I'm like looking at my wife going, that didn't happen, right? That didn't happen. <laughs> God, Sorry. Sorry. God just wired us differently, right? And so I think we women shouldn't judge men like all you want is sex. And I think you men need to realize females follow males sexually. So like internet porn became a big deal like what, 20 years ago? And now it is for females as well because females follow what men are doing. And so, you know, guys, acknowledge your sexual, acknowledge like, wow, there's a beautiful woman. I feel aroused. God, thank you, everything's working, right? Because you have an automatic sexual nervous system, and male or female, when you're exposed to something sexual, you'll feel it in your body, and that doesn't mean you're a dirty, rotten sinner or some sort of reprobate. It means that, no, God, my systems are working, yay. Okay, now help me just let that go and move on, right? I think when we repress it, we start getting obsessive about it, and we can't get that thought off our mind, and then we start going down that trail, well, ooh, she's beautiful, ooh, what would it be like to sleep with her, ooh, dangerous pathway. Right. It's, it's a slippery slope, real quick, real slippery slope. It's way better to go, oh, God, she's beautiful, she's your daughter, she's somebody's wife, she's somebody's mother, she's somebody's sister, okay, God, I'm just going to let that go now and move on. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, question number two. That's fantastic. In the church, we often hear about purity in a physical sense, but what are your thoughts on emotional purity? What are some of the important boundaries we can set in our relationships in terms of emotions? So I'm not sure if this question is really asking about, you know, what do we think on, right? Because what we think on, our emotions will follow, and then our body will follow. So, you know, I think it's like anything. We've got to discipline something, Right? We've got yeah. to discipline kind of everything. Um, but I also think, like, we're made for emotional connection. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We were made, God made us as relational creatures. And we are made to connect emotionally with others. But you have to have boundaries around that. Because there are, like Henry Cloud, I, I work with Dr. Townsend and you know, Townsend and Cloud are closely associated. Henry and Cloud said there's three kinds of people. There's a fool. There, oh, wait, there's a wise. There's the fool. And there's evil. Hmm. And we just need to be more aware of that. I think sometimes we want to live in la-la land. Yeah. And you've got to guard your heart from emotionally being involved with somebody who's foolish or somebody who's downright evil. I remember the first time I heard Henry say this, but with evil people, you get attorneys and guns. Like, right? You don't involve yourself. And scripture says, if you deal with an angry man today, you'll deal with him again tomorrow. You know, I always say, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's a duck. You know, and we women can kind of think, well, if I love him enough and pour myself into him, or I think you men, some of you have a rescue wish. You want to rescue a damsel in distress, And if I just take good enough care of her and pour out enough on her, she's going to become this great person. And it's like, no, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's a duck, you know? And so I think we have to guard ourselves emotionally, but I think we also need to realize I am made for emotional connection and relational connection. And so God, would you put some wise people around me? Yeah. And even wise people do some stupid things. I'm not talking about perfect people, but good enough people, right? And those are the people that we can emotionally connect to and open up with, learn how to open up. Yeah. sounds like even in the first couple of answers, people, but also acknowledging these things. We, so many times we try to like do things that we don't necessarily need to do or we're pushing things away. And just acknowledging it and beginning to run it through a healthier filter is, is the better way to go. Okay, let's, uh, next question. What is the best way to handle... Can I, can yeah, I just ahead. piggyback on emotional? I mean, can I just be really frank with y'all? 
like our sexuality is pretty shapeable and moldable. So, for example, I, I mean, I feel like I'm completely heterosexual, right? But if I looked at lesbian porn every day for weeks and weeks and months and months, guess what? You're going to start acting that out sooner or later. Hmm. Because we, we are moldable. We are shapeable. Our brains, you know, the Apostle Paul talked about the, the rewiring of our brains. So we can wire our brains in this direction, or we can wire our brains in a godly direction. So, yeah, sorry. no, it's great. <laughs> what, what is the best way to handle shame and guilt that is present in a marriage from not being totally pure during mm-hmm. dating relationships? Yeah. Well, um, I've been a sex therapist for a long time. Talk to a lot of Christian people about their sexuality. And, you know, I would just encourage you to forgive yourself and let it go. Right? Yeah. Like, when Ron and I got married, the first day of our honeymoon, we went for a walk on the beach. And we had been sexual before we got married. And we just sat on this, you know, sat there looking out the beach and asked each other for forgiveness. So we could wipe our slate clean and start over Hmm. on our first day of married life. Right? Yeah. And I, you know what? Pretty much everybody needs to do that. Right. So yeah. I don't care if you've been married for 10 minutes or 500 years. I'd love it if on your way home today, you'd just say, hey, would you forgive me? Wow. You know, could we just start over with each other today and put, get rid of this guilt and this toxic shame? Because so many couples, because they feel so much guilt about it, they don't enjoy what God wants them to enjoy. Right. God wants you to have a great time sexually with each other. He wants you to have a lot of fun. He made this for good. He made it so husbands and wives, you know, when you're married to a man or a woman, sometimes it's a little annoying, <laughs> right? Anybody? <laughs> no. Uh-uh. Anybody with me? I mean, just, you know, you just have a few moments. But, you know, sex, sex is meant to be that oil in the engine where, you know, like Ron and I can be annoyed with each other. We make love to each other. And it's like, hey, you're not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's so. great. Oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. And I do, I do think, you know, we, we have to remember that guilt and shame are a weapon yeah. of the enemy. Yeah. That is not God's process for forgiveness. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. It's, there is no condemnation. And condemnation will tell you who you were and take you back there. Conviction will tell you who you can be and, and challenge and encourage you to be that. And I think it's just really important for you to hear that. It, it sounds almost simplistic. I know, but it, it is. It, and you know, we humans think we ought to punish ourselves. Right. Like, oh, I had sex with all these people before I got married, so I shouldn't enjoy married sex. I'm like, that is... That is such a lie. Like, just let God come in, forgive you, and wash you, and cleanse you, and start over and have some fun with each other, right? Yeah. Yeah. So good. Okay, next question. How can you overcome the feeling of not wanting to have sex because you have just had a baby, exhausted from work, have gained weight, don't like how your body feels, all the things that go into that, probably long days. How do you overcome some of that? What's the... Yeah. Well, number one, let me just say you're normal. Yeah. Right? Like, um, when, you're, when you've had a baby, and, um, I, you know, like, who wants to have sex right after having a baby? <laughs> right? Um, everything hurts. <laughs> and you've just given birth to a human being, and that's a big deal. Right? And so you've got to give yourself some time to heal. And breastfeeding also um, messes with your hormones, and yeah. so for a lot of women, they'll just like, oh, my gosh, I just feel, like, dead sexually. And you're normal. You know, you've kind of got to give your, your body time for your hormones to balance out. But I would encourage you at the same time to remember you're still a sexual creature. Right. And the truth for female sexuality, you know, we've looked at sexuality according to male sexuality for a long time. Like there's desire, arousal, orgasm, and plateau. That's kind of how it works for men. Men are pretty straightforward. Um, females, of course, are, are more complex. Is anybody yeah. surprised by that? Yeah. <laughs> so for females, you know, before, um, you know, when the relationship is young or before she's had kids, she can have a lot of those ooh-la-la, baby, I want you feelings. Okay, but after a child or two, females slip more into sexual neutrality, right? Like think of a, a car with a 
what do you call that? A stick shift thingy? Yeah, that, yeah there you go. Works. Okay, there yeah, you go. Um, so she's more in neutral. And husbands, this is what foreplay is about. And foreplay for females is like, oh, I'll get up at 4 a.m. and feed the baby. That is so sexy. <laughs> like, you know, fe- porn for females is a man with a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> you know? So um, she, she's exhausted. I mean, women say the ideal sexual setting for them if they've got kids is to have a nap and then have sex, right? Because she's exhausted. So, you know, when Ron and I had four little boys, Ron would say, I'm going to give the boys a bath and put them to bed. And I'll go, okay, I'm going to do dishes and I'm going to go take a bath. So I have a few minutes of me time because somebody has been pulling on me or sucking on me or or whatever all day long. (laughs) You know, and so give me like, give me a half hour to myself and, you know. But for females... um, you know, have you women ever experienced this where you decide, okay, I'm not really in the mood, but I do love him. Hmm. And I do want to convey my love to him, and I do want to be close to him. And then once you start engaging, and this is where sexual foreplay is important, like kissing, caressing. You know, so many married couples stop kissing. Don't ever stop kissing. For one thing, when a man kisses a woman, he has more dopamine than she does. That's why oftentimes men are a little more chill than women, because dopamine it helps you go, ha, ah, right? He starts kissing her, and his saliva carries dopamine into her system and helps her to start relaxing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God thought of everything, right? See? Babe, right? Just kiss, and you're good. Yeah, you kiss? It's for you. Yeah, it's for you. It's for you. All, all about you, Meredith. I'm here for you. Yeah, he's, I like that. Um, But, you know, small things, like during the day, I encourage all couples, like, do a 60-second non-sexual hug twice a day. And, man, non-sexual means (laughs) non-sexual. We have to clarify. No private parts, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Men kind of tend to go, you know, their hands start wondering. At least my husband's hands wonder. (laughs) So... Right? So, um, you know, because that says, that, that'll calm your anxiety. And, like, we're attached to each other. Because, really, God created sexuality for married couples to be deeply, deeply, deeply bonded and attached to each other. Yeah. So, sweet words, um, hugging, let me help you. How can I make your day better? What do you need? Man, that stuff goes a long way. And then when you get in bed, you don't just hop right to it. You know, you spend time kissing, caressing, playing together. So she has time. Women have busy minds, man. I'm just telling you, we have busy minds, right? Like she can be like, ooh, it's nice to kiss you. Ooh, I forgot to put the sheets in the dryer, you know? (laughs) And so you help her by engaging, helping her to get into her body, and that takes us women a while. So, you know, most men, women need like 20 minutes of foreplay before they're ready to have intercourse. Right? Well, so <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. Brandon's, wow, okay. I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> like, what am I, what word would have been okay? Y'all stop it. What word would have been perfect there? I want to. I want to encourage. You know. I think maybe one of the things I think is important for uh, for us is to because I think there's obviously some single people in the room, some young people in the room, uh, divorced. Uh, how do you how do you handle some of that? And I know this is not the question, but um, you know, you're talking about all these things in the context of marriage, and maybe for me, it's to encourage people to go. This is the power of this. This there is such purpose and such meaning and such. But how do you manage that if you're, you're young and you know, this, all right, that might be a while? Or, like, what is that kind of, uh, or divorced and, and dating again, or maybe not going to be dating for a little while, or, or whatever the case might be? Um, what is that for you? And maybe we kind of addressed that at the beginning, but this idea of just setting your thoughts, setting your heart. I know it's not easy. It sounds like, oh, we'll just do that. Um, it, and it's hard. And, yeah. and I have 
empathy for all the single divorced, you know, I, I have a lot of, I mean, I do, I have empathy for you because I know it's not easy, right? Yeah. It's not easy. And it's nice when you have a sexual partner. The thing is, Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, I think they were asking, well, so, you know, we've made a mess of sex, right? Like they were having all the sexual issues we have today, they were having back then. Um, same sex, they're, you know, son-in-law sleeping with mother-in-law, all kinds of messy sexual things going on. So they said to Paul, well, so is, is sex even good? Like, is this just a bad thing and we should just try to write it off, right? I mean, I think a lot of Christians do that. Like, this is just too messy, too complex, and we'll just, like, well, forget it. And Paul says, no, sex is good, but within a certain context. Right. And so, I mean, you know, God's given us this context for sex, and it was meant to be in the mar- context of marriage, you know? And where a husband, he wants to please his wife sexually, and where she wants to please him sexually. And so that is the biblical context Now, here's the thing I think the Song of Solomon gives us is this couple's dating until like chapter four, right? They're pursuing each other and they're headed towards marriage. And you know what they do instead of acting out sexually? They create a sexual dialogue. They create a dialogue of longing. Isn't that awesome? I think we've lost that fine art. And so if you're dating somebody or you want to, I would say if you want to date somebody, if you want to be married again, I want to ask you something. How many people have your phone number? Because most people, if they want a spouse, you know what they do? They go to work. They go home. They make dinner. They turn on the TV and watch TV, and then they go to bed. Hmm. And I'm like, how's somebody going to get your phone number? You know? So if you're single, I'd encourage you, like, start, you know, pursue. Don't do it in a weird way. But, you know, I think Christians, it's okay to flirt. You know, like, you got to give a guy a smile if you're interested in him. Because <laughs> a poor guy, otherwise, like, I don't, I don't think she likes me. Like, you're giving fellas too much credit right? if you think he'll just figure it out. Yeah, right? <laughs> just, it ain't not going to happen. No, they won't. I mean, like Ruth, I don't know what all was going on there. I don't know. That's one of the things I'm going to ask God about. But man, like she put on her red high heels and some perfume and a pretty dress. And she went down. I don't know about this other part. But anyway, they weren't sexual. But she like, you know, he was happy and relaxed. And she laid down. And, um, you know, she sent him some pretty strong signals. And so, you know, don't be a stalker or anything. But, you know. (laughs) I, I would encourage you, if you're single and you want to get married, go on 20 dates. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't marry the first guy that isn't comes that so, Isn't that like so opposite of what you would typically hear in church? Like, right. Or it just, or it just never gets said. Like we kiss dating goodbye. I'm like, what? If you kiss dating goodbye, don't do that. That like is the stupidest idea I've ever heard of my whole <laughs> life. Like... <laughs> Oh, man. Like, how are you going to We're not find... selling that book. Yeah, we are sorry. selling love and sex. So make sure you grab your copy well, of that. And the guy who wrote that book later retracted it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because yep. he was young and dumb. Yeah. And if you want to... Sounds good. I know. It sounds so sounds holy. Sounds super spiritual. And like, so, oh, we're going to court. I'm like, whatever. How are you going to find somebody you really like and you want to do life with unless you are getting to know them? Yeah. Are you a friend to me? Because I don't want to marry somebody who's not a friend. Like, if you're a jerk, no, no, thank right, you. Right, right, right. You know, so you gotta, you got to practice. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, good. Um, on, the, on the question, how do you overcome feeling of not wanting to have sex? You know, okay. even take the baby part out of it. Maybe some of us are not in that situation. Or maybe you're a guy, you're having the same kind of issue. I'm not feeling it. I'm not wanting, whatever. How do you deal with it in that? Well, I think we can all get pretty lazy sexually. But, you know, when we said, I do, we were saying, I, I, I do. I will be your sexual partner for all the days of our lives, whatever that looks like. Yeah. And so, like, for Ron and I, you know, we're just real people. Four kids. Um, I had some sexual trauma in my history. And so there was a season of our married life where I was working through that. Sometimes when we were making love, I would get triggered. And be right back where I was when I was 17 years old and I was raped by my youth pastor. Hmm. And I was terrorized. And so I'd say to Ron, hey, time out. 
And this was so healing and redemptive for me because he would just hold me and pray for me. Wow. And that sent such a powerful mes- message to me. It wow. said, I am not a man who just wants to get what I want from you. Wow. Right? And that was so healing. And I learned I can really trust this man. And I'm safe with him. And men, women can never really be with you if they don't feel safe with you. Wow, yeah. And men, your woman needs to be able to say no to you before she can say yes to you. Wow. Because if she feels like she can never turn you down, never say no to you, man, sex just becomes a chore for her, and she's going to end up hating sex, right? Yeah. If it's something you have to do, you eventually do not want to do it. And sex gets ruined for a lot of couples in marriage. If a husband has a porn problem and she feels like, I feel like he's just acting out on me. Hmm. Like, it doesn't feel like he's here with me. It doesn't feel intimate. Women sense those things. We can feel it. And no woman just wants to be acted out on, right? And so sometimes... There's a lot of reasons why we don't want sex. Sometimes we're just like struggling, we're stressed, work is hard, we're exhausted. There's just really good practical reasons, right? Sometimes we've got to remind ourselves, I'm sexual, God made female sexual. You know women, God gave females a sexual part that has no utilitarian purpose, right? I mean, you know, the male equivalent. Do you want me to say words or should I not say words? Oh, okay. I can say words. Take a poll real quick. Okay. Are you all okay? No, yeah, go ahead and say it. So basically, the female clitoris and the male penis are identical. Except God made the male penis to like, you know, it's how men go to the bathroom and how they make babies. There's some utilitarian purposes. But for females, God gave a clitoris to say, girls, I made sex for you. It's not meant to be a duty. It's meant to be about pleasure. It's meant to be fun for you. And so, you know, God really supports female sexuality, even though oftentimes the church says, listen, women, it's your duty, and you better give it to Mm. him or he's going to stray from you. And I'm like, that is awful. God never says that, and I'm sorry that we've heard it in the church because it's just not even biblical. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, but if there's other reasons you aren't having sex, like if sex isn't working, stop. Call a timeout. Get some help. I hope my book will be helpful. But if that's not, then find other help. Get help. Yeah. If, if you hate sex, there's a reason. Maybe there's some trauma that needs to be dealt with. Maybe there's some porn issues that need to be dealt with. Maybe you need more help around the house. Maybe, men, work is too stressful. Maybe you're taking an allergy medication and it's affecting your erections. I mean, there's a lot of things. Do you know that right this minute, 60% of married couples are having a sexual struggle? Wow. So if you are, you're normal. If you aren't having one right now, you probably will. You know. So, you know, just accept that. I think what God wants to have happen is for us to be sexual friends to each other. And so we can learn how to talk about our sexual problems. Yeah. You know, well, I'm not liking sex right now. Well, why not? Tell me about that. Yeah. What, what works for you? What, what turns you on? What turns you off? You know, well, it turns me off when you yell at me 10 minutes earlier, and then you want me to go jump in bed with you. Yeah, that's a huge turnoff, right? Yeah. Or it turns me off when you're nitpicking me or being critical of me. You know, I don't really feel that aroused. <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? <laughs> This is really good. I hope this is really good for you, encouraging for you. We've got, we've got a few more questions. We'll try to do some rapid fire here, although I think they get deeper as we go. Um, how do you move, and so we'll do our best. Uh, how do you move past betrayal? Is an emotional affair different than a full-on sexual affair? And we'll, again, we'll do this as, as well as we can, as quickly as we can, but um, these are heavy questions. So how do you move past betrayal in relationship? You know, when I I was on staff at Gateway Church, I started an affair recovery program there because, um, uh, sadly, there's a lot of affairs going on in the world we live in. And it doesn't have to mean the end of a marriage, but it does mean that the affair is going to have to stop, going to have to say goodbye to the affair partner, 
And then you're going to both have to go do a lot of work, hard work, to recover. And I had couples come into this affair recovery program where the affair was 20, 30 years ago. But they had never healed. Mm. When there's been an affair, it's traumatizing. And you have to heal from it. It won't just get better. Yeah. Yeah. How many of us just hope things will get better? Any of you? Because I know I can. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, it'll get better. I mean, how many times have you caught yourself saying that? Oh, I think we're doing better. I think that'll get better. And I'm like, no, you're not. You, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, no, you need to go get the right help to heal. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about, well, go to therapy. That's great. But you need specialization to help you heal from an affair, yeah. right? Like, if you had appendicitis, you don't want the orthopedic surgeon taking out your appendix, okay? And same with an affair. It's possible there's an affair recovery center in Austin, Texas. Get the right help, get the right information, get the education you need for both of you to heal and recover. Yeah. And if you're the one who's had the affair, I'm telling you, you're going to have to be willing to take some grief for it. Yeah. You know, there's going to need to be like, I'm so sorry I have hurt you deeply. And she's going to, or he's going to need to be able, well, what happened? Well, ask questions. You know, be angry with you. Be hurt towards you. And it'll take a while to work it through. But you know what ended up happening with that affair recovery? Those couples that went through it, like about 95% of them really healed and they became like my best marriage volunteers mm. because they had done the hard work. Oh, that's awesome. There's hope, huh? Yeah. Uh, what's the next one? Where we got? Uh, okay, I think this is, a, this is a big one. What are some ideas for helping new Christians? And I think just this is probably bigger than just new Christians who have previously struggled with or been fascinated with pornography. So in a sense, why is that an issue? But then also, how do you, how do you work through that? How do you deal with that? Yeah. Um, and then we'll probably have one or two more after this. Okay. But then we'll... I'll try to make this quick. Yeah. Um, pornography, um, viewing pornography and really, pornography is very addictive, first of all. It's more powerful than crack cocaine. Mm -hmm. Okay, it hits that reward center of our brain. And whatever hits the reward center of our brain, our brain likes to repeat it over and over and over. So it becomes very addictive. Um, it's about medicating a deeper pain in your mm -hmm. life if it becomes addictive. Typically, that means you either have some personal trauma, there's some family of origin issues that need to be worked through, or you have a narrative of... I'm not good enough, and if somebody really knew who I am, they would not possibly love me. And so a lot of self-medicating happens through porn use, and it just signals there's a deeper problem. The porn is a fruit on the tree. It's not the roots. Wow. And so if somebody's struggling with porn, which is such a huge problem, nowadays we just have the problem of this constant exposure. You yeah. know, you really have to guard yourself to not be exposed to porn. But most little boys are exposed to porn around eight years old. Yep. They're not only just exposed, targeted. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, nowadays, if kids are doing a research paper on, like, say, a topic, did you know that the porn industry, ta uh, they target our children? And so if a kid puts in the word, like, spanking, like they have a homework assignment on spanking, that'll bring up several porn sites. You know, so you've got to have all these protections on all your devices and your children's devices. You know, kids show each other porn at grade school on their phones and their little readers and things like that. So we just, you know, here's the thing. Porn can maybe start as an exposure problem. Somebody showed you porn, you're a little guy, and like, wow, that's beautiful, and there's some stuff going on in the family. Your needs aren't being met. And so it looks like, oh, these beautiful women want to meet my needs. So it's very appealing, right? And then it becomes a brain problem. So oftentimes in the church, we've thought it's a moral problem. You need to stop it. You need to repent. You need to get over it. Where actually it's a brain problem because then the brain pathways get wired to be very addicted to pornography. 
And what needs to happen then is you need to get in a very specific program to help you with a porn addiction so your brain can be rewired because we have a wiring problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I think the church, we need to look at porn problems a little bit differently. And instead of saying, bad you, stop looking at porn, all you men come down here, repent, which men do that all the time. Then they go, then they go off and porn's like, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm your drug of choice. Yeah. You know, and so men and women need help rewiring their brain. So I talk about it in the book. I, I talk about porn in the book because it's such a big deal. So. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the, and I want to grab one question. Go ahead. Um, go ahead and go to the next one. And, and we'll, Okay, go to the next one. Not that, well, do you want to answer that one? Sure. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm try, I know we have them kind of in categories, so okay. I wanted to hit on it. Uh, uh, Category, make sure we have time. We, you could do that one fairly if you quickly. Don't want, yeah. we, don't, we can do whatever you want. Let's answer that one because okay. I think it's a good okay. one. And, uh, and I actually don't think it's a long answer. No. Um, but, yeah, what is, I don't really know God's stance on masturbation. Is it okay? Is it simple? What if my thoughts are only of my spouse or no real thoughts at all during masturbation? So I'm, I may surprise you a little. No, I, maybe I think, not. We'll see. Um, so, you know, the Apostle Paul said, uh, I don't want to be mastered by anything. Isn't that great advice? Because yeah. masturbation can become a chronic, prolonged problem. Yeah. And it can be very addictive. And, you know, it's like everything, right? We all have to know ourselves. Like, there's some people who can have two glasses of wine, and there's some people that should really stay away from wine completely because they kind of have an addictive personality. Right. So you got to know yourself. Now, um, I don't take a super rigid view on it, though. You know, I um, think don't be mastered by it. James Dobson's dad came into his room when he's about 15. He said, son, you're going to think a lot about masturbating. And he said, yeah, just, you know, that it's going to happen, and it's not going to be the end of the world, and you're not going to go to hell for it. You're not going to go blind from it. You're not going to, you know, they used to tell kids that. Um, you know, um, but, you, but, but don't be mastered by it. And, and don't let it become habitual. And masturbation becomes problematic when, like, say, a husband's masturbating instead of making love to his wife. Well, that's right. a form of neglect. Right. That's not okay. That's never cool. Um, I, I, I'm a Townsend leadership coach, and so I have a group of all women in New York. And one of them just broke up with her boyfriend, and she was having sex with him. And she said, well, what am I going to do now? Like, is am I going to go to hell if I masturbate? I'm like, well, I think masturbation can be a problem for a lot of people. But honestly, I'd, I'd rather you masturbate than go have a one night, than go hook up. Right. You know? And that's, that's probably what she would do. Right. So, um, but yeah, if you're fantasizing about others, you know, it can, it can be a huge problem. So I would say that's something that you personally have to pray through and right. say, God, what are you saying to me? But, like, let's say your wife has had a baby and she's not going to have sex for six weeks and, you know, you masturbate in the shower a couple times. That's not the end of the world, right? So. See, a bunch of Christians in here going, I'm sorry. I know, what? really got sorry, quiet. What? what just happened? Really got quiet. This is what just went, whoa. Well, here, uh, here's the thing. If we have a piece of chocolate cake right here, I'm like, don't eat it, don't eat it, don't yeah. eat it, don't eat it, don't eat it. That's all we obsess about. Yeah. And I think we just need to recognize, you know, we're social creatures by God's design. Let's not be freaks about it. Let's I think, not And work. I think that really is the, the thread that has run through everything you've said is that take, just take the, the past and the expectations and all the weird things that have been said about sex, sexuality, and begin to bring it back into the sacred space that God called it to and begin to allow it to be what it is and, and yeah. quit making it weird or strange. Yeah. Um, and, and I will just say from masturbation, from a guy's perspective, that whole last line actually doesn't thoughts. make sense to me. Um, no <laughs> real thoughts. And I don't mean that to be whatever. I'm just saying that as I've asked that question as a guy trying to justify myself, I think that's one of the challenges. I think you have to know yourself. You got to know what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, let's go to one more question because you mentioned this. Um, that, yeah, that, so I wanted to hit this. This is our last question. The worship team can come on up. But what advice or encouragement do you have for those dealing with sexual abuse and rape in their past? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say um, 
You know, I'm just so sorry if you have experienced sexual abuse of any kind. And the statistics are staggering. If we line up 10 women, probably half of them, wow. at least. And, but yet, I've never been in a group where it wasn't more like 8 out of 10. Wow. Haven't experienced some sort of unwanted touch, something that felt like a violation to her. And men, the numbers for you guys are like 4 out of 10. They're pretty high for you men as well. Oh. And so the first thing I want you to know is is if you've been sexually abused in any way, shape, or form, God aches for you. His heart hurts for you. He never wanted somebody to sexually take advantage of you. Yeah. Ever. That's right. That's right. It is not okay with God. Because when that happens to people, they're like, God, where were you? Why didn't you stop it? And so they think God doesn't care. But it, it's just, that's not the truth. God gives human beings free will. And oftentimes human beings do horrible things to other human beings. And God hates it. And so I just want you to know he wants to enter into this healing process with you. He wants to walk you through this journey. It was not your fault. Even if your body responded to it, right? Because like I said at the beginning, we are sexual creatures by God's design. And so if somebody sexually abuses you, your body can respond to it because you have that automatic sexual nervous system. So you aren't bad, you aren't dirty, it's not your fault. And you deserve to heal. And you deserve the help you need. I'll, I address sexual abuse in the book. I have, a group, I have a men's group and I have a women's group in this book. And the men talk about their sexual trauma. They talk about their struggles with porn. One guy in there talks about his struggle with same-sex porn. The women talk about, you know, date rapes, about childhood sexual abuse. And I, I just walk them through the healing process. So that's a big reason I wrote the book. And I've had to do that work in my life. And I'm here to tell you that it's so possible to heal. Yeah. It is what God, you know, Jesus said in Isaiah 61, and he says it again in Luke 4, I came to heal the brokenhearted. That's right. You know, he, he didn't say I came to heal the brokenheaded. I came to heal the brokenhearted. And if yeah. you've experienced any kind of sexual trauma, it impacts your heart and your soul in very deep and profound ways. Yeah. And Jesus came to heal that. Yeah. He came to set the captive free. And when yeah. you've experienced sexual trauma, you feel like a prisoner to it. You feel like your life has been taken into captivity. And God wants to set you free from that. And thankfully, there's processes to do it. And you can't do it alone. You know, there's that saying, we're hurt in relationships and we heal in relationships. You know, there's this family of origin that can be really messy. And then there's a the family of God. Yeah. That we're meant to let the family of God in and find some safe people in the family of God where we can find the help and the hope and the healing. And it begins by telling your story. So whatever your story is, I hope you will find a safe person and start saying, hey, this happened to me. And if you're that safe person that you would just say, I am so sorry. I hurt with you. Tell me more. Tell me what else happened. And you don't get rigid and you don't get religious, yeah. but you get loving. Yeah. Oh, so good. You know, and I think that goes for, we, you know, we passed over pornography question. How do you talk to your children? You talk, we, we have, we have any uh, LGBT questions. But I think what she just said, I think the church should be big enough because the grace of God is big enough to handle every one of those conversations with a simple response of, I'm here for you, I love you, we're with you, I'm going to walk you through this. I think if we can get that place, if that's our first response, it's not, well, if you, if you read this and if you talk about this, 
Let's get there later. We'll, talk, we'll deal with that later. Let us be people who don't go, <gasps> or drop our head, or just look somebody in the eye and don't change their value or who they are based upon something they've been through, something they're struggling with, something they're walking through. You look them in the eye, they are just as valuable, just as Christ-centered, just as made in the image of God as they ever were, and they need to be reminded of that. And so I, I want to be a church that reminds people of that. And I think what we heard today on so much of what we talked about. Has this been good for you? Uh, it's been so awesome. We should have Nancy back again. Yeah. And um, I think what you heard on so much of this is that the church needs to talk about it. Um, and that means you, not just here. It means us need to talk about it. And I think we need to bring it back into our spirituality because everything affects us. And bring it back into that place where it's, how do I honor God with it? How do I, I mean, how do I enjoy it? How do I embrace it? How do I steward it? Uh, it's been so good. Would you, would you stand with me? And I want to share a story, and then I want to have Nancy pray over us um, this morning. And I appreciate you hanging with us a bit. We started this series with this verse, John 13. Jesus said in verse 6, he said, he, he, uh, sorry, in verse 4, Jesus gets up from supper, lays aside his robe, takes a towel, ties it around himself. Next, he pours water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel and around him, uh, tied around him. He said, he came, came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus said, what, if, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward you will know. And uh, that's soon before he goes to the cross. I just want to be a church, and I want to have a moment now where, where you can understand Jesus is here to wash your feet. Whatever you've walked in with, whatever you've trekked in the door, whatever you've brought into this place, whatever you've brought into dinner party, whatever you've brought into your marriage, whatever you've brought into relationship, Jesus is here to make all things new. And that he is not too high and too above it or too big for it. He will get down on a knee something he should have never done um, and wash away everything that you've ever dealt with because he's big enough, because he has an ideal for you. He has a desire for you. He has a purpose for you. He has an image he created you in and he will do anything and everything he possibly can to make sure you arrive there. And he loves you and he'll walk you through it. And so I just want to pray over that. So if you would, would you bow your heads? And if you're dealing with one of those things, anything, we talked about a lot of things today. But I believe the Holy Spirit wants to redeem. Everything he made to rejoice, he's also made a way to redeem it. Where we've messed it up, where we've ruined it, where we've uh, just stepped in something we just never expected to be there. Uh, God wants to redeem it, to buy it back, to make it what he called it, and make it what he created it. And you have not so far moved away from him that he is not pursuing you, not looking for you. He's not given up on you. Maybe a marriage thing, maybe it's an addiction thing, maybe it's just a redeemed view of your own sexuality. If you would, if that's you and you go, that's me. And I know this is a bit bold, it's a bit courageous. Maybe it requires a little bit, but I believe as you confess it, God's going to restore it. And uh, if you would, just with all boldness, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you and you go, I want prayer, I want Nancy to pray over my marriage, just pray over me. Would you just right now just lift your hands to heaven? Maybe if you're with your spouse and take their hand in yours. Just right now, thank you, all over this place. So good. Would you pray over these guys? Father, thank you that you are so for us and that you there's nothing about us that you're ashamed of, that you invite us into this relationship where you want to love us, you want to heal us, you want to redeem all the hurt and broken areas of each one of our lives. And you proclaim that nothing is too hard for you. Nothing. It may seem overwhelmingly big for us. It may seem way too hard. But that's where you say, just come to me and I will give you rest. So, Father, we bring you our sexual brokenness. We bring you our sexual struggles. We bring you our sexual addictions. We bring you the places where we've been so hurt and we just hate sex and it seems disgusting and like you made a big boo-boo. And God, I just pray now that you would take each person in your loving arms and you would whisper, I am here for you. I want to heal you. I want to wash you. 
I want to redeem you. So I just invite everybody, just hold out your hands and let the sweet spirit of God minister his healing touch on your life, wherever you need it. Even if you're just a new mom with a baby and you're tired, let him refresh you by his spirit. You're not alone in this anymore. If you're struggling with pornography and you feel so alone and so trapped, I just want you to see him coming and sitting with you and looking you in the eyes and saying, I love you. I'm with you in this. Let me help you. Turn to me and I will be your helper. Thank you, Jesus. We, we love you. You're such a kind father. We love you. Thank you that you heal the brokenhearted. You set the captive free. I proclaim this over this beautiful group of people today, that this is what you are doing in this moment, in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. You're going to walk out this healing journey with us. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Yeah, that's good. Come on.